There are a lot of things that we do, um, and in retrospect, I think when we look back, there are a lot of things that we do um, that really don't make sense when we're kids. Um, in particular, there's one thing that I'm thinking of. Um, I, I remember as a kid, if I had a bad dream, um, if I didn't feel well or whatever, but especially like if you have a nightmare, whether it be the boogeyman going to get you un from under your bed, um, whether you think that somebody's going to break into the house and come get you, whatever it is, any time we have a nightmare, and, and like when I was a kid, any time I would have a nightmare and I would wake up, the first words out of my mouth was, I need my mama. But if we really think about it, if I really think back about it, um, if there is a monster that is 10 foot tall, what is my mom going to do? Right? Uh, you know my mom. Um, I, I know my mom. I love my mom. I'm going to say that very, very clearly. I love my mom. Um, but uh, one thing about, like, my mom is not going to do anything to a monster that is this big. Right? She's this big. Right? But my mama is not going to fight off. She might tell off, but she's not going to fight off a monster that is this big. It's not going to happen. Um, I remember I, I, there was one time I had a dream that like I got kidnapped or something. I woke up, I freaked out, and I was all worried. I ran to the room, and I'm like, Mama, uh, someone's going to come get me. And she looked at me, she said, don't worry, they're going to bring you back. And she rolled over and went back to bed. Because <laughs> I love my mother to death, and she loves me so much. But... We really think about it, it doesn't make sense. That that would be the first words out of so many kids' mouth is, I want my mama. But the second that we climb into bed with them, the second that they come climb into bed with us, or we get that hug or whatever, like the second that we lay down for a month, like all of a sudden, everything's okay. There's no problem. And I'm right back to sleep. Crashed out, snoring and all. Drool, you know, good deep sleep. There's so many times that in scripture, there are things that are happening and we don't realize it until we look at it from a certain perspective, how much they don't make sense. And today in our gospel, we have one of those situations that when we look back at it, this, the, the thing that's actually playing out there are so many levels that really don't make sense. But we get so familiar with it that sometimes we just like, we assume and it's fine and it's okay and we just go on autoplay. We just kind of like, we just kind of tune it out and we're like, oh yeah, we know the visitation. Like, I pray the joyful mysteries of the rosary. I know the visitation. I understand that. I get it. I know what Mary says. I know what Elizabeth says. That's really nice. Okay, can we move on and just get to Christmas? But I'm asking us for today, as we look at the gospel, as we break open the word of God today, that we give it a moment, and we kind of look at it a little bit more analytically. We kind of, we analyze what's going on a little bit, and let's not dive into autoplay. Let's not dive in to just letting it kind of go on in the background, because we know. Because if, if we look at today's gospel... Um, so today's gospel is right on the heels of the Annunciation, right? So the previous verses of Luke's gospel, the, the thing that happened was, is that Mary, a teenage girl, is in her bedroom, basically just living and doing her thing, and then all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, 
you are going to have the Son of God. A teenage girl who's a virgin is going to have a baby. It doesn't make sense. And she says yes. Like of all people, God would choose. He would not choose, if we really think about it, in worldly terms. Why would God choose a little girl who has done nothing of notoriety, is, is nobody of notoriety, and she's just tucked away in this forgotten corner of the world all by herself. You are going to have the Son of God. That's right before we get into today's gospel. The last thing that the angel says is, to her is, your, your cousin Elizabeth is now in the sixth month of her pregnancy. We're going to get to that in a second. And you are going to have the Son of the Most High. And then we get into today's gospel. We hear that Mary, she, after hearing this news, after hearing that God is going to bless her with this kind of grace, that God himself is going to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament, he's going to fulfill it through her. She doesn't sit back and rest on her laurels. She doesn't just enjoy herself. She doesn't just kind of, you know, like start giving herself a little manicure and a pedicure and like, okay, I'm all good and I'm all this and I'm all that. Great. No. We hear that she goes in haste to help her cousin. God has just given her this blessing and she runs out to meet her cousin. Enter Elizabeth. Now if we know Elizabeth, if we know about Elizabeth, Elizabeth is married to, is married to Zechariah. Zechariah is the high priest that year. So Zechariah is a big deal in, the, in Jewish circles. Zechariah is the one who goes into the temple to offer sacrifice. Zechariah is, is everybody knows Zechariah. And every, because everybody knows Zechariah, everybody knows Elizabeth. They've got some status. They're known. And when Mary shows up to meet Elizabeth, who herself is advanced in age and also pregnant, again, doesn't make sense, because she's past childbearing years. When Mary shows up to meet Elizabeth, it's not Mary who bows. It's not Mary who sees this woman, who sees this woman Elizabeth, who has a higher status and is looking at her. And like, it, it's not Mary who comes in and says, "Oh my goodness, Elizabeth!" I, like, I, like offers her her welcome and all these things. It's Elizabeth who looks to Mary and says. How is it that the mother of my Lord would come to me? She bows to the little peasant girl of no notoriety, of no status, who's really not that much of, not, of much of anything. We also hear in the first reading today, that we hear about Bethlehem and, and the, the prophecy of Micah and that, that Bethlehem, you who are too small and not much, the only thing Bethlehem was known for was Bethlehem was the hometown of David, King David. Bethlehem was nothing else. It's this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere that no, everybody had forgotten and everybody kind of passed through and there's nothing really special about it except that King David was there. That's where he's from. 
Like you can almost imagine walking into Bethlehem, seeing the sign and saying, home of King David, right? And that's about it, and the sign's probably like falling off. But that's about it. There's nothing special about that place, but Bethlehem would become the source of all grace, the source where the Lord would make himself known, where God would enter into human enter into humanity. Now, why do I point these things out? I, I think for us as Catholics, especially now as we approach this Christmas season, as we approach now some five days away Christmas, I think it's very easy for us to kind of have a sterile understanding to kind of have a, a cleaned up idea of what we're walking into. Of separating, if you will, the Christmas mystery from us, from real life. But in real life, Mary was a nobody. And Elizabeth was old. And Bethlehem was nowhere. But God still saw it fit to work through a nobody God still saw it fit to work through someone who was too old. God still saw it fit to work through nowhere to bring his will to fruition. Like, think about it for a moment. Many of us probably in our homes and, and here at church in the, in the next couple of days, um, we're going to put out a nativity scene. You may have one up in your house right now. Beautiful. But when I look at a nativity scene, I always, I always have a little bit of a pause because they're not very realistic. Think about a nativity scene. You have Mary, you usually have the manger, right? And then you have Mary who's kneeling down and looking very, very pious, which she probably was. But there has never been a woman right after having a baby that has had like, you know, makeup and rouge on her, on her face. If we, think about, if we think about Joseph, Joseph is always looking very, very handsome and cleaned up. Kind of got like a little, you know, like a fair complexion going on. And he's just kind of standing there also looking at the child. He probably stood there and looked at the child. But I got a feeling that after walking for miles and miles, Joseph probably didn't look too awake. He's probably pretty exhausted. The shepherds always look all nice and done up and cleaned up. Shepherds worked out in a field and probably smelled to high hell. And then on top of all of it, the animals are always kind of sitting around in the, in the, in the hay and looking all pretty and cute. And, and the sheep is like sitting perfect and the cow is over there and the donkey is over here and all that kind of stuff. You ever been in a barn? What does a barn sound like? It's not very quiet. What, is a, what does a barn smell like? Even better. See, what I think happens for us a lot of times is as we approach Christmas, as we look at the mysteries of our faith, a lot of times we can make it where it's sterile, where it's clean. And when we do that, we can separate it from us. I want a greeting card nativity scene. I, I want the Hallmark movie kind of Christmas. That's not reality. 
that almost turns into an idol and a fantasy. Something that I can look at from far that looks pretty and looks nice, but really doesn't have an impact on me too much. The words we sing so often in Advent, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel that we constantly pray, that we constantly hear, it means God with us. It means that God is with us, that God became one of us, that God wants to fulfill his mission through us, that God wants to lift up humanity so that we can bring about his plan and his grace in the world. That kind of life does not mean that we're separated from God and we watch him from far. But instead, that God wants to be with us exactly where we are. God wants to be with us in waiting for our insurance check. God wants to be with us while fighting with FEMA. God wants to be with us in the sufferings of sickness or death or whatever it is that you're going through right now. God wants to be with us in the joys of Christmas morning and watching kids open presents. God, through Christmas, proves that he wants to be with us and work through us. This is what we celebrate in five days. And this is what we prepare for today. But, but Father, I'm, I'm, I'm too old. So is Elizabeth. Father, I, 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 look, Raceland ain't, that, ain't like the center of the world. We kind of forgotten. It's not that much. So was Bethlehem. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm too small, I'm too young, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. So was Mary. God wants to bring his plan to fruition through us. And the words we proclaim in Advent of Emmanuel is his testament and his promise. He's done it once before, he wants to do it again in your life. May this week, as we approach the Christmas mystery, we not allow the mystery of Christmas to be a sterile, Hallmark Channel, greeting card kind of faith. But instead, let's let God be with us where we are in the mess of our lives.